Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm sitting here grinning ear to ear, uh, looking at my guests, and I'm still pinching myself that we are in season two. Like, where did one year go? It seemed so fast, yet so fun at the same time. And I continue to be referred to, introduced to, and meeting heart-centered leaders all over the globe. And today, I want to introduce you to Dr. Robin Rosenberg. Robin is the CEO and the founder of Life in Their World. She is a clinical psychologist and a textbook author. Robin has had both psychotherapy and executive coaching practices in the San Francisco San Francisco Bay Area, as well as in New York City. She's board certified in clinical psychology by the American Board of Professional Psychology. She is also a fellow of the American Academy of Clinical Psychology, and she's an assistant clinical professor at the University of California, San Francisco. Robin has taught psychology classes at Leslie University and also at Harvard. So Dr. Robin, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I um, always, um, I always love having doctors on the show and talking about imperfection. Thank you. One little tweak: the company is called Live in Their World. I know it's it, it can be said either way. Is it live or live? Um, it's live in their world. See, there's our Canadian American tonation difference, right? Don't you love the imperfection of this already? <laughs> So Dr. Robin, you, you just have this wealth about you from an education perspective, an academic perspective, and I'm sure there's so many moments in your clinical practice and stories that you could share with us. So my first leadership question is, you talk and and mentioned to me that you love and think that style is about specific behavior patterns and the meaning that we imbue in them. I love the word imbue. You're the first person to put that on my my questionnaire. Do you see, (laughs) this is like, you know, the ice cream Neapolitan, like I never know what flavor is going to pop up. So I'm digressing because I like to have fun. (laughs) I would love for you to answer a question around style and talking about specific behavior patterns, especially if you could give us a glimpse into your, I'm going to say interpretation, if not experience over the last year with the, the navigation that leaders have had to do with the pandemic. Just a tiny little question. Just a tiny question. We we start small here. (laughs) Um, It's been such a hard year for everybody. Um, You know, individual contributors have had an enormous amount on their plate. And leaders and managers have had an enormous amount on their plate. Um, 
Okay, so let me first answer the more general question and then talk about the as it applies to the pandemic, if that's okay. So um, when we think of style, or when I think of the word style in a work context, what I often think of is, uh-oh, that uh, style is often how people get, that's where bias comes in because, you know, like, you don't, I don't like your leadership style. What does that mean? You know, and women have often, um, and, and minorities have often been uh, shut out because their leadership style or their style is different. It's, it's a way, it's a vague way of, um, or it can be a, a vague way of tracking people, if you will into different, classifying them into different tracks. And ultimately leadership is, you know, good leadership over time is about a pattern of behavior. It's really uh, building up specific chunks of behavior that are relatively consistent and thus create the sense of style, if you will. At this, so that's a, a kind of bottom up processing about what is style. At the same time, we also use what's called top-down processing. So um, there's a line of research that's called thin slices research, which is, you know, in microseconds, we, we make judgments about people from how they move, even just from photographs, but, but certainly from just how they move, how they speak. And so we we then make judgments about leaders and their style based on these little thin slices of behavior. And so those initial impressions we form guide us of what we're looking for in them, what we remember, you know, what we see, what we remember. We can't remember things we didn't notice often, you know, unless you're hypnotized. And so in that sense, style can become this self-fulfilling um, impression that's not really based on specific behavior patterns, but what you're, the pattern of what you're noticing rather than the pattern of what is, if that makes sense. You with me so far? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, and so that's where style can be problematic. The concept of style can be problematic. And then we also know from another area of research in psychology that in interaction patterns, I can pull certain or elicit certain behaviors from you because it's what I expect from you. So I can behave in ways that are more likely to have you behave this way versus that way. And, and that reconfirms my belief in who you are, but it's actually, you only do that with me. You know, you're not like that with other people. So it gets really complicated about the interactional nature of style. And, and that's why I defined it as both specific behavior patterns and what we imbue into them. That's kind of the top-down processing element of it. Well, and I think for our listeners, you know, you talk about being vague in our communication and our tracking. And I think I want the listeners to really hear what you're saying there, because not only is it the verbal expression, especially with all the remote work we're doing on Zoom, 
but it's also really paying attention to the nonverbal cues. And, and, and you and I share the executive coaching space. And I I've got to the point with some of my CEOs over the past year, where I've said, turn off your video and close your eyes and listen. That's great. Tell me what you hear, because when we close our eyes and we listen, we're so much more tuned in to less of the vagueness. And then we can hear the emotion behind what's being verbally expressed. And a couple of CEOs laughed at me. And then they said, this is really surreal because I could hear the sadness in the voice. Wow. I could hear the fear. I had one CEO who said to her team, I'm not asking you anymore. How are you doing? I want to know how you're feeling. And then I'm going to say, but how are you really feeling right now? And the one day she said, I feel like crying and I'm having a bad day. And she said, I had a cry fest and it was awesome. And they're all like wide eyed on zoom. Like what is happening? And then she went into a beautiful talk about vulnerability, compassion, and empathy and explaining the difference and navigating her emotional peaks and valleys. And she said, my relationship and my leadership has changed since I dropped the armor off my chest, because that's not what we were taught in school. And I was just like, it was like a goosebumpy coach moment, which I know you've probably experienced many times, both clinically and when you're also doing coaching. And I just find those moments so rewarding. And I would love for you to share, you know, as you can, without breaching any confidentiality, where have you seen, I'm going to go right into my second question. I'm moving my third question up to number two, because I knew this was going to happen with you and I, where have you seen these aha moments? Let's coin it as that one that's engraved in your heart from both your practice, but also with your coaching. And it could be pre pandemic during the pandemic, whichever you want to feel that you want to share and that you're comfortable sharing. Sure. But let me just, I actually didn't address the style issue during the pandemic. So I, we, we can skip go that. Back, circle that. back. See, I told you this was going to be a great conversation. Okay. Um, should I answer this aha thing first? Whatever you want to do. This is all about you, Dr. Robin. Um, so the, the aha So there are, I think, two different kinds of aha moments. So one is, um, let's say, cognitively getting it, like um, uh, deep, for lack of a better word, intellectual understanding. It's not actually intellectual. It's really cognitive. It's like, I understand the thinking of what happened. and, And that deep aha sort of light bulb thinking um, leads to profound change. And that's really different from the light bulb in the chest. Like there's a light bulb in the head and the light bulb in the chest. And that's the feeling something in a new way. And that leads to transformation. So um, there both of them spark a sense of wonder that is, you know, just, it's such grace to be present 
when people have those moments of transformation, those moments of deep insight. Um, but but they come about, they, they're experienced very differently, but it's hard to know when you're talking with someone which way it will impact them most. I, I love the light bulb moments. Would you, you talk about the head and the heart and I always add in the third brain, the gut, because I feel when there's that alignment and you talked about the, the deep aha light bulb moment, a lot of times leaders will say, I went with my gut. And in leadership, we call that intuition management. And it's on average 75% of their day because they've got so much coming at them. So many decisions to make consciously and subconsciously. I think the last research somebody threw at me was it was like 35,000 decisions in a day for most, wow. most executives at that level. So we talk about that head and heart alignment, but we can't forget about the gut because there, there is that connectivity, that physiological connection. And, you know, who knows when that cliche was, was born, go with your gut. Right. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that what happens often in a, when there's some kind of insight, whether it's conscious or unconscious to your point, that there, there is some, um, again, unconscious clicking into place of rightness that, uh, can be experienced as gut, you know, people have different vulnerabilities also in their organ systems. And so for some people, it really is primarily gut, literally. Um, and then for other people, it's, it's you know, different parts of their body or, or sort of ways of thinking. And, but there, it, there is a kind of rightness that if it's a big decision, it may be full of awareness but for many of those daily decisions, it's just automatic. And, and you only know something is wrong when, when you get a signal. You, you don't get a signal when it's right. It's almost like tapping into the high level of thinking, that executive functioning, but the procedural memory, you know, it's, it's like us getting, grabbing our keys and jumping in our car and, and we just do all that automatic. And, and it's hard sometimes for senior team leads to understand where that leadership or that quickness comes from. And it always lends for a great conversation. Now, I wanted to circle back. Did you, was there anything else you wanted to unpack about style in my first question? In the pandemic, yes. So <clears throat> um, we have a lot fewer opportunities to see behavior patterns because we're not actually seeing many of the behavior patterns that we were seeing in the office. So that glance as someone is walking toward the elevators of the coffee area or the bathroom that was reassuring, you know, hey, how you doing? Just these little, what I call micro interactions that we now know meant so much that are part of the leadership process of checking in with your people. The leaders were really hamstrung 
uh, in not having these easily obtainable, unscheduled moments, everything had to be scheduled. You know, yeah, you could do it over Slack, but it just doesn't mean the same thing. And so really it was creating new pandemic behavior patterns that were digital. And um, with many fewer channels of information, many, many fewer. So it, it's been really hard. And if you were onboarded during the pandemic, you know, we know that those people are, are at a significant disadvantage in terms of acculturation and just understanding and building trust and belonging and engagement. So, um, feeling so feeling was, that belonging at it at an arm's length digitally. Yes, and so leadership style I think became much more about communication style. You know, and how, how were you checking in and how much were you asking people how they were doing and was it intrusive, you know, or not, you know, because we're getting conflicting information. And as the pandemic wore on, the message changed about what good leaders should do. You know, so initially it was check in with your people. We're all humans. You know, what do they make sure their living situation is? What's their bandwidth? And then as the pandemic wore on, it was, you know, don't belabor it you know you want to check in but you also don't want to make people be on meetings longer than they have to (laughs) so because we're all getting zoomed out and so it was this delicate balance of personal contact but letting people do the work and not keeping them captured longer than they needed to be absolutely and I've I've really been adamant from a coaching perspective to say how much white space is in the calendar Right. Do you have the water on the desk? Because the water is going to ensure the environmental breaks for sure. But how about a quick walk around the block? And instead of focusing on the lockdown or what we can't do, what can we do? You know, you have to take your dog for a walk, um, taking your child to the park at lunch or whatever it may be, seeing the options that are available to you instead of being so close-minded and feeling so structured that there's nowhere to move. Just that, um, I don't even know what word to use for it, but just feeling like there's no choice. Whereas if you look at all the choices that you do have and not focusing the mindset on what you don't have, because like you said, we can't see those, those micro intentions, uh, the walking to the water cooler or stopping to get a coffee or the wave across the office something we didn't expect. And people are really, really lonely. And what people, you know, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, what a lot of people don't realize is people at the top in those executive or C-suite roles, they are very lonely. It's incredibly lonely. And um, when I was, you know, coaching in the San Francisco Bay area, which has, you know, a lot of startups, there's a real awareness of the importance of coaching for uh, CEOs and found co-founders because it is profoundly lonely. There's, there's a difference between being a leader who shows vulnerability and is human 
but also um, understands and respects boundaries and uh, leads. You know, there's a there's a sense in which to lead requires a certain type of role. It's not really distance per se, right? It's not holding people at arm's length at all, but it's really a, a unique position that is that is quite lonely. No, I agree. So I'm going to ask you our permanent resident question. What imperfections does Dr. Robin bring to her heart-centered leadership? Uh, um, let's see. Among, among them, <laughs> which would I ch- choose to discuss? Um, it's probably sometimes I can get a little too cerebral, uh, you know, sort of my knowledge of psychology um, can get not in the way exactly, but it, it, um, thinking versus feeling, you know, sort of shifting between those two can get a little confusing and, uh, what's most helpful as a leader, you know, when to be, which, that's what I would say, because I sort of understand things in a different way, perhaps because of my background than, than other leaders. And, and probably for anyone who has you know, significant coaching experience, I imagine there's something similar. There, there's the seeing what you're doing and understanding what you're doing versus just doing it <laughs> and, and that tension. So that's what I would guess. Well, I love that. And it always lends a conversation to say to the leader, go sit in the observer's chair, right? Go, go have a look. And then they're like, okay, I got to get out of my head. I got to use my heart. Maybe I'll use my gut. It's, it lends such a great conversation for so many things. And we all have imperfections, but I love that cerebral I expected nothing less of an answer from you, to be honest. And we'll, we'll, we'll also, also known as too much in my head. I love that. I'm going to switch to my fast fab four. Cause we want to know what's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours, Dr. Robert, sure. are you ready? Yes. Okay. First question. Tell us something that we don't know about you. I play guitar and sing. Oh, very interesting. So we could we could do a follow up and have a, a singing interview in the future. Is there a certain genre of music that you love to play or sing? Music of the uh, 60s, 70s, a little bit 80s. Um, my my husband plays bass guitar. So we we have a little duo that we just for ourselves, just for fun. And, and would you agree, especially during the last year that music truly is good for our soul? Boy, is that true? I feel so badly for performers, people who are professional performers, because not only have they been deprived of their livelihood and and income, but the thing that sparks them, Mm -hmm. it makes them feel life is worth living in some, in some some sense. So I, it's, I think everyone will be happy when we can go back to live experiences. Absolutely. 
Okay. Second question. I'd like you to finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? A very good idea, but also very challenging. I agree. Third question. Share with us a book that you're reading right now, the title and the author, and why you chose to read it. I recently finished the book Outlaw, and you're asking me the I will. It's a novel. Um, I read novels for escape. Outlaw book. And it is by, I think it's Anne North or Anna North. It is by, hold on, that's not the one, Robin Hood. Hold on. Uh, Anna North. It is by Anna North. And it is a very, very interesting take on the Wild West. Mm. Um, it is uh, the author is female and it, it shows in the writing and I'm not particularly interested in the wild west. So I had read a review of it. I thought, eh, you know, okay, I'll give it a try. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. And I really loved it. And I hope there's a sequel. Okay. There's a, that's interesting. And my last question is what is one thing you want our listeners to remember about you from this interview? I would say it is, um, we hadn't talked about my company, but it, it, the whole reason I'm, I'm, I'm sort of here doing, doing podcasts is because I want people to know about our company. So what we do is we have a program that in part uses virtual reality to address issues of bias and incivility in the workplace. Mm. And we take what we know from the science of learning and what we know about what works and doesn't work with DEI, the diversity, equity, and inclusion interventions, and really tries to capitalize on that and um, provide learning in small doses distributed over time. And what we call what we do civility training, mm. because ultimately it's about respect and uh, how people can engage with each other respectfully, none of us is ever going to get it all right. Right. Sometimes, you know, we're snappish. Sometimes, you know, we are using top-down processing and making judgments about people that may or may not be true. It create tension in between colleagues um, and it doesn't get resolved and it festers and the cost of incivility is huge. Mm -hmm. Bias, biased behavior is one form of incivility, but it's not the only one. And it, 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 it's very, very costly. And so our program really tries to upskill people, both how to address it if you've been disrespected, how to address it if you're a bystander and we wanna convert you to an upstander. And if you've been the person who almost always unintentionally was disrespectful, how to really come to feedback with an open and curious mind mm -hmm. and, and really um, hear and convey respect to the person who's taking the trouble and risk to talk to you about it. And it creates this wonderful opportunity for building trust and really deepening the relationship. And so that's, that's what our program does. And we, we measure progress because it's not enough to make it have it feel good we wanted to actually move the needle mm 
Mm-hmm. So that's what I would hope that people take away. Well, I love that. And we, we have all of your social media and business links, and we're going to include all of that with a beautiful description below in our, in our podcast episode. And I knew this was going to be a delightful conversation. Thank you. And one more thing for listeners, if they want, they can come to our website, uh, liveintheirworld.com thought leadership. And there's a download of a white paper, uh, best practices on giving and receiving feedback. Which is so prudent right now. And, and done well by a heart-centered leader. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's oh, been it's been life. so fun. And, and thank you for sharing your, your time and your expertise, but more importantly, your heart. Thank you. So Good this is season two. Thank you. And thanks everyone for, for tuning in to listen to, to Dr. Robin's episode. And we'll see you next time on Imperfect. You've been listening to the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.